Hi there, I'm Carrie Byron, formerly of Mythbusters, now Crash Test World, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. People of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal of the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts John and Kenrick and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us or use the voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. J.N. Horsley. And today on the show, we're super lucky and it's wonderful to have Carrie Byron on, isn't it? It is. And she's from Mythbusters, which was a fantastic show that I've loved watching that one. And uh, it's kind of funny you said J.N. Horsley today. Yeah, I never say J.N. Horsley. Yeah, it's kind that of funny new. to say that on this episode for Mythbusters because, it, you know, is it is it accurate to call me Jane Horsley because that's technically my grandfather, not me? So do you well, have what's to, on your birth to signify me? Jane Horsley the third? So should I say Jay Horsley the, the fifth? Is that what you said? No, I'm the third. Oh, the third. The third in a long line of J's. You yep, fucking yep. J. Yeah. Well, this is cool. This is a cool one. Dude, I loved Mythbusters. I was bummed when it went off. I don't understand why it went off the air. Except I think the two main hosts weren't the closest. I guess that's a good way of saying it. I don't know. They, they're doing their own thing now, too, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. But Carrie was awesome. Yeah. She came on and chatted. And uh, what do you say? We just go ahead and get into it and uh, come back and talk about it afterwards. There you go. Hello, listeners of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, Ms. Carrie Byron. How are we doing, Ms. Byron? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. I, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. I've been a fan of yours for a long time, going back to uh, Mythbusters. Well, thank you. I mean, that's really the first time I was ever on TV. So <laughs> before that, <laughs> it would have just been like you were a stalker or something. <laughs> I mean, did, did you ever think when you were doing Mythbusters that you would become a celebrity? Ah, oh, heck no. I didn't even know it after <laughs> Mythbusters started. It wasn't until our crew went to Comic-Con for the first time and they booked us for a room so that me, Grant, and Tori could come out and talk to the audience. And the room overfilled and they had to put us in a bigger room. And then oh, wow. the fire marshals came because it was overfilled. And we're like, how big is this room? And we walked in and there was thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And the three of us were like, 
oh my God, people watch the show. Holy crap. This is crazy. <laughs> and it was our first time really experiencing that because when Mythbusters started, we're a really scrappy crew. We got a, you know, couple cameramen, some audio techs. We're all just in a workshop in San Francisco. There's no LA scene. Reality television isn't what it is now. Like it felt like we were making really weird home movies. <laughs> so to know that the audience was out there, it almost made it more nerve wracking when we got home because all of a sudden, instead of just being like us messing around with the camera guy, all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, all those people are watching us right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you felt like the, the full pressure of an audience. <laughs> a little more, I got a little more nervous. I am not an inherently TV ready person. I was, yeah. it was trial by fire for sure. Were there ideas that you initially had to do on Mythbusters that after you, you found the size of your audience, you were like, you know what? That's too small time for us now. That's small audience, <laughs> Mythbusters. We got to do like the big stuff. This is, <laughs> we had change what, change up what we're doing. Nah, we always just kind of did what was fun for us or what we could build. And usually if there was something really exciting to one of us, like if there was a zombie involved, Tori would get excited or something <laughs> where electronics were involved, Grant would get excited. And I just, I was really into crashing cars and weaponry. So <laughs> It just, you know, we, we just catered to the things that we found fascinating and went for it. So, I mean, when you first went to that Comic-Con, what were the expectations for you? I mean, like, what were you thinking you were going to see when you stepped out? Dude, I had no idea. I really, <laughs> I didn't. Comic-Con is such a wild beast. It is just this amazing place of costumes and people just getting their freak on and everybody just getting into whatever their geekdom is and going headfirst into it. It is a beautiful thing to see. It, it's, it's kind of funny because as an audience member, you just assume that the people you watch on TV know, I guess somehow you think, you know, they know you're watching them or I guess, or like <laughs> you kind of feel like they know they have a huge fan base. They have to know, you know, that there's everyone's watching their show. It's weird to think that on the opposite side, you're thinking, is anyone actually tuning into this? <laughs> well, I mean, even when we started Mythbusters, we talked off camera to a producer who was asking the questions like, what did you think of that build? And you'd just be telling them exactly what you think. You know, it wasn't scripted. So I would say, oh, I was having a really hard time fitting this piece together, blah, 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 just talking to the producer. So I think it really changed when they started asking us to talk directly into the camera, which instead of a warm face that's giving you feedback, it's all of a sudden this cold, dead eye. And I mean, Adam's the only one that was ever trained in any sort of acting whatsoever. So all of us kind of stumbled for a minute looking into the camera because you're just, there's no eyes. So at one point, the producer realized that all of us were struggling with this because we are just a bunch of special effects and, you know, artists that they made a little smiley face out of masking <laughs> tape and put it above the lens so we could pretend we were talking to the smiley face. <laughs> That's looking funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, when, when, I mean, the very definition of what your team was, your team was literally called the B team. And I guess with that name, there's an assumption, I guess, maybe on some level that you wouldn't be the star of the show, but in some, but in a real way, after a while, you guys kind of became as big a, as of a star and face of the show the same way as the main team was what's funny is because the b team kind of is an inside sports thing we started out being called the build team because tori and i and um, this woman scotty who's an amazing welder and a contest winner named christine we were hired not to be hosts we were hired to build the backgrounds so jamie and adam come just like show up and 
do the fun stuff. And then we would clean up the build afterwards. So we were the ones that were doing the nuts and bolts and all the building. But then they realized, you know, they had hired us to make more episodes and make them faster. They realized it wasn't any faster that way. So they thought, okay, well, we'll have them talk and that'll actually fill out more time. So, cause you know, science takes a long time and our experiments take right, a long right, time right. and the build wasn't necessarily the bulk of what they needed to film. So it was also something interesting to the audience. They like to see how the sausage was made literally sometimes, yeah. you know, they love the building, <laughs> they love seeing all that stuff. So we started to do little asides for the camera and we started to talk to the camera and then sooner or later, they just pushed us in front of it. And within God, within like a season, they're like, yeah, you guys are hosts now. <laughs> All of us were just, wait, what? We're, oh, okay, sure. This seems fun. Let's do this. And then every single time we got renewed, we would think, ah, oh, this is the last season. This, yeah, this won't go on very long. Like, <laughs> we didn't realize this was going on for over a decade. Like, I thought this was just, you know, my first one. Of, it just felt like another job, like my first grown up job. Well, I mean, I, I think what it, it worked for people is that the chemistry between the you, Grant, and Philippe, I forget the name of the other gentleman. Tori. <laughs> Tori, sorry. Sorry to Tori if he's ever, if he's listening. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I mentioned the important, the most important too. Oh, stop. He's <laughs> very, very important. And one of my best friends. And, indeed. <laughs> indeed. I, I'm, like, I'm literally just kidding. I, but it, it really was the chemistry between the three of you. Because, I mean, the chemistry between the three of you w was better and in many ways more entertaining than between Jamie and Adam. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a different kind of chemistry. That's like a little more like, you know, OCC style. Like they, they, they respected each other and they were both brilliant in their own way, but they weren't buddies. Whereas me, Tori and Grant went out to dinner together and had lunch together and fought like siblings. I mean, we spent so <laughs> much time together. You know how when you have those people that you go through crazy events with, like you go ziplining yep. with them, like you have a bond that's really strong. We did that every day for, for like 12 years. So we were more family than a lot of my family because, you know, we're blowing <laughs> things up and we're building together. Right. And when we first started, we were working 13 hour days, six days a week, like on the regular. We spent birthdays there. We, we, <laughs> we <laughs> abandoned our families. <laughs> <laughs> for each other and we, i mean we literally were picking up and creating shit sometimes we we, <laughs> we spent a whole day picking up cow manure and stirring it together and just looking at each other like this we will always remember <laughs> so so when you weren't filming and you guys were just doing your day-to-day -day interaction with each other offset did you guys some find yourself thinking maybe I should test that theory right there? You know, I wonder what would happen if I did this and just you know think mm, maybe we get some paid to be testing this. <laughs> I mean, we didn't really talk about work when we got off of work because we were exhausted and <laughs> it was enough. Mostly, like uh, Tori and I love Italian food, so we'd be you know a lot of wine and Italian food. You know, we'd be on set together, way off in the desert. So we we just we just all go sit in some really dirt bag bar somewhere and have a drink and just relax. Like we did not talk about work if we could avoid it. <laughs> Save it for the camera. Well, I think what was fantastic about you guys showing how the sausage was made, as as you said, is that it really gave the viewers a respect for what you guys were actually doing. And I think not everyone has enough respect for the difficulty of science and you guys made it showed us, you know, this is what it is. This is how hard it is. 
And, you know, this is how um, intricate it all is. And I think that was very important. I really wish you guys as an audience could have, you know, how they have after dark, big brother or whatever, you know, the behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Because if you could just see the researchers we had, especially in the beginning when nobody knew what Mythbusters was. And if you could have seen them calling places like a butcher shop and being like, no, I need I need a stomach completely intact with all the bile and all the hoses attached. And the, they'd be like, wait, what do you mean? We don't sell it like that. And they're like, I know, but we need that. Could you do that for us? And just the confusion or, hey, I'm trying to get a 747 so I can flip a bus. <laughs> These are requests that were coming through. And so at first, very, very difficult. And slowly people started to get used to the show. And lucky for us that a lot of our fan base, police, fire, engineers, aeronautics, you know, explosive material experts. So the people that we work with were also the people that were into the show because they liked all the same stuff we did. Well, it was great because you guys must have made some weird ass phone calls to people <laughs> asking for requests of things. Did you get people hanging up and you going, you know, that's not funny. Just like click. At first, or we get vetted really hard. <laughs> it took it. Took a while. <laughs> and I think what before the interview, I, I did a lot of re research, you know, and talked about you in the show. And I actually didn't even realize that Jamie and I didn't like each other until actually a couple of days ago when I did the research, <laughs> I just assumed they did. And what I didn't know is that your background is actually, when you went to University of San Francisco, State University, mm -hmm. your background actually was film and sculpting, not, you know, because I, I was a little surprised by that. How, what is, what was the through line between sculpting, filming, and eventually your focus on science? Well, it's really special effects. All of us have a background in special effects and we're somehow involved in that industry. I was trying to get into that industry and we're all builders. So for the, what we, we didn't realize we were really doing a science show. We were using science as a narrative, you know, the scientific method as a narrative vehicle, which is perfect for telling a story. And it just became more of a science show because it just worked out that way. We all used experts and a lot of academia to help us, as well as when the internet got better, <laughs> it was it became yeah. a lot easier to find our mythology to test. But I think that the whole gag of the show being that we were builders and not scientists made it an easier through line for the audience because we're learning with them. We didn't know when stuff was going to blow up. We didn't necessarily <laughs> know if things were going to work or not. So when we were excited about things, we were genuinely excited. I'm squealing and screaming because I didn't know how it was going to end up. Whereas maybe if I had had a strong scientific background, I would know that wasn't going to explode and I would be very calm instead of so anxious. So I, I think that <laughs> we taught science by learning it. That was incredible. And I, and I felt I learned a lot by watching it. And I think the other thing that I found was impressive about what you've done since is that you've really seemed to have dedicated your entire life to furthering education for a lot of people. One of the things that, that you definitely are promoting, and I, and I think is great, is uh, STEAM. And for the listeners of ours who don't know what STEAM is, it's for, it stands for Fields of or Defined Science, Technology, Interpreted Through Engineering and Arts and Basic Mathematics. Why was is STEAM something that you felt important enough to dedicate yourself so fully to it? Well, it's more for me, it's critical thinking. And I really believe that even if you're going for a liberal arts education, you need to have the critical thinking and a science background just as as a human being in this world, it's important to have that sort of base knowledge. So uh, I, I, I definitely think it's a evolving, constantly interesting industry where it's 
a good opportunity to help people better themselves. And it's a really great opportunity to have an interesting career. And I've met so many people within the field that encompass everything from creating food to making airplanes. You know, it's, it's, it can be almost anything. So I personally just like the opportunities that a STEAM career is going to offer you. And I think that's, like I said, that's wonderful. As my, my day job, I'm a English teacher at a therapeutic high school in Rhode Island. And the importance of STEAM and trying to get our students to recognize the importance of things like math and science and uh, English and reading. I, I feel like sometimes when they make it to high school, they haven't acquired that respect for those um, subjects. And I think what you do with your show helps create that for them. Well, I was just having a lot of fun doing what I did. It just, it's a great byproduct <laughs> that it had a positive uh, message for the world. <laughs> Let's not give well, you too much credit here. Like I got to blow stuff up. I got to do really <laughs> cool things. I even learned how to build a still. So I've got a side career if I need it. <laughs> but, like I said, and since, but since then, though, you really have done a, a great job of focusing on continuing that with science. Cause like I said, you're currently now working with a nonprofit organization known as Pro Project Explorer. Mm -hmm. And so for our listeners, what is Project Explor Explorer? Well, Project Explorer, I do a show called Crash Test World for, and Project Explorer is a nonprofit that has been around for about 17 years. They were streaming videos before YouTube existed. It's um, really about creating global citizenry through exploration. So a kid in Kenya can see what it's like to be a kid in Japan. You know, a kid in Kansas can see what it's like to be a kid in Mexico. We get to see what the traditions and cultures are of other countries, their food, their, their ways of life, the way they play. And it's just, you know, it's all about exploration, which is education. So we do what's called edutainment. And Crash Test World specifically is a show on this platform. It's, think of it, it's a little like Netflix for education, if you think of it that way. And the show I do, I travel around the world. Well, I did before <laughs> the pandemic, but I travel yeah. around asking big <laughs> questions, exploring different places, like how art's preserved in a different culture, how we celebrate death. On our current season, we did one in New York, how do mega cities function? We did one on how do we live in peace in a place of great conflict? And we went to Israel. And, you know, we talk to mostly innovators and people who are coming up with great solutions. I mean, we went to a surf camp in Israel where everybody leaves the politics on the beach and in the water, everybody's just catching a wave. And it's, you know, beautiful organizations that are donating surfboards to try to create peace. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to make the world a better place. And I am lucky enough to get to give a signal boost to the people that are really trying to do that. Now, is the title Crash Test World based on your book, Crash Test Girl, that came out, um, was it two years ago, I think it was, three years? Oh, my God. I think it was 100 years ago. <laughs> it's been a long year. But yeah, I did. I wrote a book, Crash Test World, or sorry, Crash Test Girl, which basically I wrote the whole book on a dare because I was talking to an art. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was sitting at a bar with Thomas Dolby. He was the... Um, singer from the 80s you might remember that did that song she blinded me with science yes okay so yes, sitting I know that him one. homer um hickam who wrote rocket boys which became october sky emily from um, emily's lab on netflix back then she was a science influencer and it was just this 
really eclectic group of wonderful people, Reed Timmer, the (laughs) the guy who chases (laughs) storms. And we were all just having a drink together. And Homer was just like, you've got a lot of great stories. You should write a book. Like, nah, I'm not going to write a book. That's crazy. That's what you do. That's so vulnerable (laughs) and scary. That is way too scary for me. I went home from that. And my daughter was having trouble in school and she was very young at the time. And I looked at her, I'm like, you know, superheroes aren't about having super strength and, and, you know, being able to have laser beams from their eyes, their bravery comes from doing something scary and still doing it. And I walked in the next room and went, crap, I gotta write a book now. <laughs> I have to take the <laughs> advice to give my daughter, which is, uh, that's how you're brave is you do something scary. So I, wrote the book (laughs) and and that kept me busy for a while in between TV shows. And then we started to do an untitled show for Project Explorer, which then when we were trying to think of a title, we just thought crash test world. You were really seeing the world through your eyes. So let's, let's, let's take it after the book. And like, and, and I think that the TV show, uh, I keep saying TV show. It's it's not a TV show. It's a, um, it will be very soon. It's going to be airing on um, discovery. I, I did. I noticed it's at the it's supposed to be at the end of this year. Is that correct, or is it going to be at now after 2021 hits? I have no idea. Discovery Channel has had a full season of that show <laughs> since I premiered it in February in New York. So they're just sitting on it. I'm not sure when they're going to release it. Hopefully, very very soon. So feel free to Twitter I, I, them or Instagram them and ask them. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll borrow them. Every I'll give a weekly uh, uh, text out. They'll be like. Where's the damn show? <laughs> when can we see it? You can see portions of it because what uh, Project Explorer does, which is very cool, is that you know we have this highly produced half hour of content that is a television show that you will see on TV. We break it up into pods of the different stories that we tell. And then they come with a free lesson plan for parents and teachers. So if you want to learn about beekeeping in Detroit and have a full lesson plan on it, you can get a lesson plan that's tailored to lower school, middle school, or high school. And all of the content is appropriate for all ages. It's really family viewing, which is perfect for the Discovery brand, but also just it's it's something that we always wanted to achieve with Mythbusters and now with this, which is never to underestimate the intelligence and the sophistication of children and teenagers. I usually speak to what I feel is a tween audience, but I've learned long ago, if you want to explain something to a 12-year-old, explain it like they're 35. If you want to explain something (laughs) to a 35-year-old, explain it like they're 12 and you'll have a better (laughs) follow-through. Well, I I totally agree. When when I teach my classes, the one thing I have learned is that you talk to your students as if they're adults for one, they're going to be eventually, so they, they should learn you know, how to respond and talk, be spoken to as an adult. And I do think they are more than willing to, they're more willing to listen to you when you do that. When you, when you talk to them or I would say down to them or condescend to them, I do think they, should, they know that immediately. They can read you better than adults can. Oh, nothing drives me more crazy than watching adults baby talk to children, especially kids who are about you know 10 or 11. When they talk to them like this, it drives me crazy because I know I've got an 11-year-old and she looks at me like, are you kidding me with this right now? <laughs> yeah, I, I've gotten in trouble a couple of times at school. I, like I said, I teach at a high school, but it's like a therapeutic school. So some of a couple of the adults, for some reason, because they're therapeutic kids, feel a need to talk to them as if they're younger. And I've gotten into some trouble yelling at them about it. That you don't. It, 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 it's insulting. I mean, they're just because they have you know usually some emotional issues does not mean that they're not their age. You know, they're probably on some levels 
more aware of themselves and mature than a lot of other teenage would be in that same situation. Oh man, kids now too are so well-informed. They are so sophisticated. They know so much more than we ever did at their age. It's good and bad in many, many ways, but uh, yeah, you, you, you can never underestimate them. Now the videos that I saw on the Project Explorer um, website, they're cut into uh, five minute clips. Mm-hmm. Will the the show when it hits Discovery be hour long programs or are these thirty minute programs that when we finally see them? Thirty minutes. Nobody's got time for an hour long program these days. That's a movie. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I assume that with COVID, everything pretty much has just stopped on the filming of the. Or are we working on a second season? I mean, we're ready to go. We're we're just it's we're kind of in a little bit of a holding pattern because some of the places we were supposed to go got shut down. Like we were. I mean, we were supposed to do something in like Pakistan and Turkey and like <laughs> places that we were, Cambodia, we were like about to go. And then uh, it's just, things got a little too out of hand and we can't travel and we can't take that kind of risk. So second season, we have a million ideas and we have where we will jump on the road very soon. Even if it's reformatting to go to Minnesota and Portland, you know, we will, we will change, we will change for the culture. And and in watching the show, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like the main theme of Crash Test World is recognizing the similarities similarities across different cultures and understanding those differences. And so, just because the culture maybe has some differences from yours, it once again, it feels like the difference is understanding what why those differences exist, and then trying by doing that, grip, um, building a appreciation for those. Um, cultures. Yeah, we're all more alike than different. We all want our families to be safe. We all want to love. We want to play. We want to eat. Like we, we have all of the same base core. So when it comes down to it, we're really more alike than different. And I just find when you want to create a familiarity, you know, if you want to tell a big story, like you want to talk about the refugee crisis, you don't sh- just jump in and talk about the refugee crisis. You find one person going through it that you can relate to. And then you can see yourself in them and then you will have empathy. For me, my whole drive in this new show is about creating empathy in the world and helping us all see how alike we really are. There's, in my opinion, a beautiful moment in one of the earlier episodes on of Crush Test World. I'm going to probably pronounce everything incorrectly, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I'm definitely going to say you're all wrong. Qatar or Qatar? <laughs> that I spent a long time trying to figure that out because it really is a uh, generational thing. It's Qatar. Qatar. Close it enough. My- yeah, it's it's. Um, <laughs> everyone here said Qatar, and when I got there, some people said Qatar, and then some people said Qatar. So I practiced a bunch. <laughs> it's kind of a. It's kind of in between, but I'm probably saying it wrong as well. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to apologize to any listeners that may exist in. Or whatever. I'm going to say it wrong and I don't mean disrespect. There was a woman on in the episode. Her name is, I'm going to say this one wrong too. Shima? Shima? Shima. Is it Shima? Okay, Shima. And you guys, you and Shima are discussing food habits. And it's a very small moment in, in the show. And some people, I don't know, like, might only last a couple of seconds, but to me, it actually meant a lot. The, there was a comment about she was showing you how to signify when you want more, when you don't want any more food. And it was how to, and you shook your cup as as a way of saying no more food. And you commented, well, where I come from, that's how we say, that's when, you know, that's when we mean when we, when we want more food, that's what we do. It's just a minor difference, but it kind of shows that little things between cultures may get misconstrued as something. But when you learn about the culture and you 
spend some time with them, you do recognize and appreciate it far more, these little um, things. And it helps, I think, people understand each other better. You might be insulting somebody with something that you think is so innocuous. It's, a, it, it's beautiful to figure out other cultures that way. I, and you know what's really funny about that particular moment you're talking about? We were drinking. She kept calling it coffee, but it looked like tea because it was green and it was light in color. And I'm, you know, we were filming this at night. So I'm thinking there's no caffeine in this. And I am just drinking <laughs> more and more and more because it was delicious <laughs> and it had this beautiful smell to it. And then we started talking about green coffee. And the more you roast coffee, the less caffeine it has, which is why espresso one-to-one with a shot of, you know, Dunkin' Donuts coffee has the same amount of caffeine you know, like a shot, a shot of espresso isn't stronger like alcohol. (laughs) And so I drank a ton of super (laughs) highly caffeinated beverage right before bed. And I was just, I was bouncing off the walls. (laughs) I could not sleep. I was like binge watching shows. I was reading, I was trying, I was exercising. Just like, oh my God, I just drank like a pot of coffee. This is crazy. See, that's when you should have filmed the, the next episode. Right. I don't think that my crew would appreciate that being <laughs> off of a 12-hour day on their feet. But <laughs> and, and I think the thing, cool part, and I think it happened just like a moment later when Shima is telling you the hand in which you used to eat and which well, you don't use another hand. Once again, just these minor things I don't even, I, I normally wouldn't even thought of myself. I think, holy crap, that's an amazing insight. Once again, into a different culture that you may, you probably wouldn't have thought about unless you saw the show. I was, it was, it was really a beautiful place to be. And it was really interesting to learn so much. And I, I, even just down to the abaya that she wore, I thought I was going to put on, you know, the, the, I was in the middle of the desert. I thought it was going to be very hot and I put it on and was so surprised to actually feel cool because I didn't, I always thought it was a religious thing, but it, it's actually helps with the elements because it creates a chimney effect when you wear that clothing that releases the heat out of it because the fabric shakes back and forth. So I got a little bit of science of <laughs> clothing and found out more about them as a people. It was beautiful. And like I said, it was, I, I really did. I, I, I was able to watch um, all the episodes and I thought, like I said, I thought they were incredible. There's an episode um, called, Desert Farming, which I thought was also very, very entertaining and uh, very informative. And I thought when I was watching Desert Farming is that as an, as an American, you look at our country, we are extremely arrogant about ourselves in, in, in a way, you know, that we think we're the most um, advanced, you know, country in the world, all this stuff. And then you watch something like Desert Farming and you realize how just exceptional, the, the exceptional level of innovation that exists within a country like Qatar as well. And I was wondering like, what kind of since you spent time there, what kind of stuff can the United States learn from the scientific achievements of Qatar or Qatar? You know what? I think that we as a world just can learn from the diversity of the world. I think that bringing lots of different people from lots of geo-economic backgrounds and, and actual, you know, different places on the map we all come with such a a different perspective i think it comes down to diversity more than anything else i think somebody from rhode island and somebody from san francisco could probably come up with some pretty good ideas just as you bring in any diversity which which is the reason i'm stumbling a little bit because i think i'm tired but (laughs) (laughs) the same way we all came from very different backgrounds and so you know different places and i think it was easier for us to come up with solutions because we approached every problem 
with such different mindsets. So I think it's more about global diversity than anything else. And I think it's one thing that your show um, demonstrated very well. And the other thing you show your, your show um, demonstrated very well as well is the importance and the use of technology. There was a, another episode where translate for me, where you discuss a new app called Tarjimli. Oh, Tarjimli, the peninsula. Yeah. And, and the idea is that it's, it's an entire app that kind of is designed to help people come together because once again, it, it, separate, it eliminates the language barrier that we have. It's like a FaceTime translator in real time. So, you know, I, I took that app with me down to Chinatown with one of the founders just to try to order, you know, talking to people that obviously speak English, but I asked them to speak Chinese to me and we used a translator that it pings people all over the world that can translate between those two languages. And instead of trying to type something in that you might not understand, you get a person, you're like, ask him if this comes in other sizes. <laughs> and, and then they, they say it right in real time. And I think that was incredible. Because once again, it, it's a, just one more step to bring a large world closer together. And I think, once again, another important app. And introducing, introducing that to people who may not have seen the app is also a very important job that you're um, providing as well. And I also, and one question I had when I was watching your show is that, do you think in the future, society will be able to reconcile like the dual aspect of technology? Because there's obviously a lot of benefits. There's some negatives um, as well. Do you think at some point we'll be able to figure out how to properly balance it in our lives? Oh, goodness. I sure hope so. I've got an 11-year-old and the two of us are just, both of us had a moment today. We're like, we look at our phone too much. We look at the computer too much and we we shut everything down and we went and we played cards for an hour. <laughs> we both had a moment of just, why are we relating to each other? We're stuck in the house together. Turn off the TV, turn off all the electronics. Let's go. And I taught her, you know, I taught her a little bit of 21 in poker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we played a little bit of everything, but it was just, wow. I just had a very present moment. I love this. I forgot we just <laughs> Some of the best times I had growing up were when the power goes out. I think sometimes we just need the power to go out for us. Yeah, I, I, you're totally right. Because I, I I feel like social media, which in the idea of it should be that we learned and had the opportunity to talk to more people and then and thus wider, widens our consciousness of what the world is like. I feel like in many ways, being on social media has eliminated on some level our ability to interact with people who are actually around us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right. But at the same time, currently without social media, I don't know much of a job I would have. <laughs> I, I run a travel show. <laughs> I, I, I'm having a hard time doing anything off of the Zoom these days. So yes, I am a big proponent of both technology and anti-technology. <laughs> <laughs> and and, I th and like I said, I think that's kind of the direction we, we're in. I, within the next few decades, it's something we do have to figure out and try to properly approach technology in a way that is positive and, you know, and, and eliminate obviously some negatives. My, my, my last question for you, because I, um, I do appreciate your time with me, is you're also part of the Grant Imahara Foundation. What are, what are its goals and how can our listeners help support it? I am a supporter of it, but I wouldn't say I'm a part of it. There are people way above my pay grade that take take care of that kind of stuff. Grant was a beautiful, wonderful person, and he believes so much in helping people and helping kids. And so it's a very, it's very STEAM and STEM motivated. So the Grant Imahara Foundation is raising money to help, to help kids in their STEM futures. I talk about it. I start to get very misty eyed because I, I have pictures of them all over my house and I, I'm, yeah. I miss him. It's still very 
raw for me. But if you go watch the video on their foundation website, they do this beautiful animation that I dare you not to cry if you have love for Grant. It's yeah, he's a good dude. Um, I, we're going to be raising I, a bunch of money for it very soon. All of the props for MythBusters, I believe, are going to be auctioned off. They've been in a oh, museum wow. up until now. So stand by for that. It's it's we're trying to source how to do it at the moment, but you know, you could own a little piece of Mythbuster history and with Grant's foundation. Is there any part that's being put on the foundation that you're going to like maybe on the down low buy yourself without your name being popped up? I don't need any of that stuff. I stole everything I wanted when I left. (laughs) (laughs) I filled my car up with all sorts of great things. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Well, like I said, I mean, and it's it's great that that foundation does exist because like I said, I was definitely one of those uh, fans who, yeah, it was shocking, devastating uh, when obviously Grant passed. And I think it was fantastic that his name is being used for something that's positive. And it sounds like it definitely is. Yeah. And I hope our listeners do the find the page and donate. <laughs> yeah. I just, just follow it for a while. Cause it's, it's going to do some exciting stuff and it, it's, it's really a beautiful way f- to keep his memory alive. And his mother is very involved. Great. So for crash test world, where can, how can our view listeners support it before it actually becomes a discovery TV show? <laughs> and I don't know, maybe, maybe get, I mean, maybe push in the right direction. I mean, what, what can we do to help you help the, the foundation out and project explore out at this point? You know, you can find every, I, I am very active on Instagram and Twitter. I am Carrie Byron at on Twitter and I'm the real Carrie Byron because I couldn't get my own name on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find all the updates for Crash Test World and for anything I'm up to. And I've got links to to Grant on there as well. But projectexplorer.org, you can check out and get lesson plans because we're all remote learning if you're a parent right now. So you can, it might be a little bit of something family oriented that's also educational. I will say, unfortunately, at my school, we're actually, the kids are in the classrooms in my state. Wow. Uh, oh, um, we already had our uh, third COVID potential outbreak. Okay, <laughs> That's good for us, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I, I, I do need it. <laughs> but yeah, so definitely follow the, the foundation. And keep in mind, look for the real Carrie Byron to our listeners. Apparently, they may be fake Carrie Byrons <laughs> running around. <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> Avoid uh, Twitter the fake is, a, is a very easy place to get a hold of me. Car- and Carrie Byron, <laughs> K-A-R-I-B-Y-R-O-N. It's just my name. Much easier. <laughs> well, thank you so much, um, Ms. Byron, for talking with me. I greatly appreciate it. You are fantastic to talk to and great entertaining. Oh, I'm glad I got to talk to you too and have a wonderful night. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your favorite Mythbusters episode? The propane tanks when they try to blow them up. Oh, that one was good. You know, what mine was. Yeah. What? When they tried to prove, when they tried to prove, or the prove or disprove, um, if you're driving in a convertible, if you go fast enough, if the speed off of your windshield will make it to where you don't need to have have the the top on while it's raining. Oh, what was the final outcome? Yeah. The outcome was that there there is a certain speed. If the rain is right and you're going fast enough, and your hood and your windshield is the right angle, you can actually drive in the rain without getting wet. But you had to stay consistent because as soon as you slow down, the rain gets in your car. <laughs> yeah. Didn't they do a thing with Rocket was, Man? Ah, uh, probably. I mean, they did Where, so much stuff. Yeah, they did so many episodes, and I know they did Shark Week a lot, and that was a great show. Yep. 
It was a fantastic she, show. I bet she I mean, misses being on that show a lot. I miss I miss that show just in general because it was just just a good show. Because I like the fact that it was science in a fun, exciting way. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hold on a second. You always dream as a kid. You always dream of having that the workshop like that where you can just screw around with stuff and blow stuff up and make things and destroy things just for the sheer hell of it. And they got they got to do it and get paid for it. Yeah, it was sad when Grant Imahara passed away. Yeah, that was that sucked. It came out of nowhere. This summer. Yeah. I don't think it, it wasn't even COVID related, yeah. right? Was it was it this year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was just back in July. Oh man. That's yeah. Sorry, last year. Twenty 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 is a is a the longest year ever. Oh god, twenty twenty has been twenty twenty is weird because it's been um both the longest year, a lot of sadness, but personally one of the best years of my life. Yeah, it's been, I've had a lot of great personal growth in this year, but it's been, it's been a weird, weird year. Uh, it was a overall, weird, well, like, not this year anymore. 2020 is gone. It was, yeah. It's 2021, it baby. It was a weird year. <laughs> yeah, and this is going to be a good year, God dang it. All right? That's it's right. It's going to be a good year. <laughs> That's right. Well, thanks a lot for Carrie to coming on and talking Mythbusters and telling us what's going on with her today. It was a lot of fun. Hopefully, she'll come back around soon and we'll have a whole chat all over again. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. If you guys enjoyed that episode as much as John and I, or Jay Horsley III and I, then yeah. I highly, highly recommend, I implore you, so to speak, to go to spoilerverse.com. And there you will find all of the back issues of Spoiler Country, where you can enjoy a ton of interviews with... I can't even begin to rattle off the amount of people we've had on, um, but we've had some huge names on to independence on because we just love to learn what people are doing. And it's been a lot of, lot of fun. And I would hope you can go back there and check it out. Yeah. And uh, last year alone in the year of 2020, we released 332 episodes. So there's definitely something there for everybody. So go check it out. I guarantee so ridiculous. something there you like. It is. We put out more episodes last year than we put out in 2017, 2018, and 2019 combined. Because <laughs> in our first three years, we put out 200, 219 episodes, and now we're up to 550-something. Oh, it's nuts. <laughs> it's so nuts. Yeah. I remember when we first started seeing people that had like 80 episodes out or 200 episodes out, and they've been yeah. going for a year and a half or two years or four years or even 10 years and be like, oh, my God, we'll never have that many episodes and a long time ago folks there was an actual conversation that john was worried that we were going to run out of ideas <laughs> <laughs> well considering you think about it from 500 last, episodes later uh, from, right from like november let's say from november 15th until december 31st we put out more episodes than we put out in all of 2017 there you go in a month and a, That's crazy. In a, month and a half so john tell him about I'd like the to store. say with the at the store, well, you can buy a t-shirt, a hoodie, a face mic, you look, look, look fly as hell. Support our logo, support the Spoilerverse logo, or any one of the other podcast logo on there. And every time you buy something on that, it gives us a couple of dollars to help keep this going and support the site that we uh, spend all this time on for you to enjoy. There you go. There you go. And what about the Discord? Well, if you want to come chat with us and tell us how amazing wow. we are or how amazing we're not, whichever one, uh, you can go to scpod.us slash discord and join our public Discord server and chat it up with us and all the other members of Spoilerverse and other other fans out there alike. 
There you guys go. I think that's a show, huh? Yeah, that's that's a show. There you go. All right, guys. Don't forget. In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more. Ha <laughs> ha